You may remember several weeks ago we did our first lesson on false gods of the Bible as we looked at Astaroth. And today we're looking at uh, the, another false god, uh, this being the god or the false god of Molech. Now, when I was looking at preparing this lesson, there were a lot of different images and things that people have put out there as what Molech may have looked like. And to suffice it to say, I wasn't interested in putting any of that uh, on the screen. It wasn't anything uh, that could not have been on there, but it wasn't my really desire. Because there's a lot of different ideas about what Molech, the false god that they had to build, what it looked like. Some believe that, uh, some historians record that it was a false god that they would, uh, was kind of the height of a, of a man and with his outstretched arms. Other pictured Molech as a temple, large enough that you would walk into the base of the temple with Molech with its face of a bull or some say face of a calf and his outstretched arms and you'd walk into the base of it and make your sacrifice there, which we'll talk more about later. Others pictured him uh, or this false god as simply something about the height of man with his arms outstretched and his arms outstretched over a pit, again, which we'll again talk about later. But as I looked more and more at those things, I decided it really wasn't what I wanted to put up there. I think the idea is very clear. It was simply the idea of ashes and fire because that's really what Molech was about. It was about sacrifice. It wasn't about, as we're going to go through this, uh, anything that Molech could offer to man. And we have read many times before, not only from Jeremiah, like we saw here in Jeremiah 19, 1 through 6, where clearly the things that were being done had never entered in, even into the mind of God at all. That they were called this place, he was going to rename this place, as you found there in verse 6, the Valley of Slaughter there in verse 6, because of the things that were taking place. Now, I don't want to get too far, to get too far ahead of myself here, but we want to begin this morning by looking at some things we can learn from those who worshiped the false god known as Molech. Now, because Molech is one of the most well-known uh, uh, gods, the so-called gods, little g, of the Bible, many of us are have at least heard that name before. We realize it's one that uh, many of us know that the instance, as you found there in Jeremiah 19, 1 through 6, is a reference to children being offered up to Molech as a human sacrifice. And the more you get into Molech, the more you see it's something that was extremely grotesque and a very dark uh, religion, use that term you want to, to be a part of, because it did involve human sacrifice. But let's, let's get a little more into this specifically this morning, hitting some specifics as we think about this false god known as Molech. We first want to begin by looking at the name, the origin, and the worship of this false god. Now, the name, uh, the name of a god who's now the name Molech is the name of a god whose worship is found mostly in the later uh, history of the kingdom of Judah as the national god of the Ammonites. He is known as Milcom or Malcom, as we find also in First Kings eleven, uh, chapter uh, verses five and seven. And so sometimes his names appear a little bit differently. But it's actually a reference to this same god of Molech. Uh, we also find Malcolm is an alternative name that's used uh, also in 2 Samuel 12, verses 30 and 31. I'll be mentioning a few verses that we're not going to look at in detail. We'll look at some more here a little bit later. 
But Molech is a tame from, and I'm, I'm going to begin to pretend I know how to say some of these names from the Hebrew language. Uh, Milka, by the substitution of the vowel points of Hebrew, uh, Basheth, signifying shame. So basically the name Molech means shame. And what a fitting way to name that false god because there's a lot of shameful things that are taking place in the worship of this false god. Now as you think more about the origin of it, you can see similarities between the, the origin of Molech and Baal. The name, the worship, and the general characteristics are so similar that their place of origin is commonly placed at Phoenicia. Uh, the fact that Molech worship uh, reached its peak of cruelty, you might say, in one of the Phoenician colonies uh, whose center was Carthage. And so it, it was closely related to Molech. It, it's, there's a lot of similarities, or excuse me, close, closely related to Baal. And there's a lot of similarities there uh, to it. But we also, our focus is not just on how it began back, you know, during, during possibly at that Phoenicia where its name came from, as we see it does, it literally means shame. But the most cruel part of Molech is the worship that was involved in with this false god. Molech worship had evidently received a great push from Ahaz, who, like Ahab of Israel, was a supporter of foreign religions, as we find in 2 Kings 16 and verse 12. He also made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh cast out from before the children of Israel, 2 Kings 16 and verse 3. And so it is a false God that has been around for a while, a God that received a push or we must say encouragement and pressed on a lot of people from other, uh, from wicked leaders. What's interesting, as we'll find a little bit later, is someone who of great prominence who actually was involved in worship of Molech. As we continue to think about the worship of Molech, his grandson, Manasseh, raised altars for Baal, and besides other abominations which he practiced, made his sons to pass through the fire, 2 Kings 21 and verse 6. The chief side of this worship, which, which, uh, of which Ahaz and Manasseh were the promoters, was Topheth in the valley of Hinnom. Uh, it is also called a valley of, ch of, of the children, or the son of the, or the, or of the son of Hinnom, lying to the southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, of, Jeho of, Je me. of Josiah's reformation, it is said that he defiled Topheth, that that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. Second Kings twenty-three and verse ten. And so you have those who try to wipe out Molech, and you have those wicked kings who promoted this worship of Molech. Now, the image of, of Molech was a human figure with a bull's head, again, some say a calf's head, and outstretched arms, ready to receive the children destined for sacrifice. The image of metal uh, was heated uh, red, hot by fire, kindled within. Some say, again, it was within this idol. Some say it was actually the fire was actually below in some sort of pit and it was heated up until those, until those arms got hot enough they would place their children upon it to sacrifice to, their, to this God. Uh, some uh, historians say that uh, in order to drown out the cries of the victims that flutes were played and drones were beaten 
and mothers were to stand by without tears or sobs to give the impression of the voluntary offering of their children to this false god. It's not a pretty picture. And one begins, you know, when you hear about those things, maybe for us today at least, we think, who would do such things? But friends, this false god was around for a long time. These things were done for a long time, promoted by wicked leaders for a very long time. Mankind has a record of doing things, as we well know, does not make much sense. But let's look more at Molech in the Bible. We want to first think about, as I said before, someone who very prominent he was involved in Molech worship, and that was Solomon. An interesting man who asked for wisdom did a lot of foolish things. And I've often said that book smarts and street smarts are not the same thing. He can be intelligent but still do a lot of things that make no sense whatsoever. And Solomon was one man who had a lot of great wisdom but still did a lot of things that made no sense. Solomon, under the influence of his idolatrous wives, built high places for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, which is Molech, and the abomination of children, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Solomon is led away by the influence of others to do evil. His evil not only affected himself, but also the, those who were innocent as well, which included, no doubt, children and anything else they decided to offer up to Molech. Some believe that this sacrifices to Molech included women offering themselves up to Molech and, and serving as prostitutes for a time. That is a common thing that's seen in a lot of false gods uh, is the idea of prostitution of women, which is, of course, a very awful thing and no doubt displeasing the sight of God, to put it very simply. We also find, if you think about Molech in the Bible, we find a lot of condemnation of Molech. It's condemning those who are involved in this worship of this false god. We find in Jeremiah 19, as we read just a moment ago, this condemnation. We find in verses 1 through 3, they're to go out and to, and to proclaim. Uh, he is to go out and to proclaim to these people, to the kings of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem there in verse 3. And notice, it's interesting to notice in verse 3 of Jeremiah 19, how many times the Lord makes it clear who is speaking. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, not the God of these wicked people who were doing these evil things. No, they did not belong to him. And his message was what? He says, I'll, Behold, I'll bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. Now, that may sound like an odd thing. Maybe you, hear some, you ever hear about something that's so grotesque, you go, ugh. That's kind of the idea I think about. They hear about how badly they were going to be destroyed by God and the catastrophe he bring upon them. They would hear about it and just shake because of how, how, how strong and how mighty and how decisive that catastrophe was. He says in verse 4, notice, because they have forsaken me. You could not be involved in the worship of this wicked God and proclaim to be a, to be a servant of the Most High God. Now, if we think about this for just a moment. We may say we don't have the God of Molech today, but don't we see a lot of the same things taking place today? When we see families forcing their children to go in and have gender operations we have families who are offering up their children the idol of abortion. Those who are promoting homosexuality and all, the, all those things that go along with it. 
we still see a lot of the same wickedness that happened during the time period of those who were involved in the worship of Molech. He says in verse 4, they made this an alien place, meaning they made it a strange place, a place where a lot of strange, wicked, and evil things were happening. You can't say it wasn't strange when you look and consider what things they were doing. You say, how, how, why are you doing that? Why are you offering up the, the blood of the innocents, the children? Why are you allowing your, your women to act and be treated this way? Or why are you causing them to be treated this way? He says in verse 4, Why is called an alien place? Because they have burned incense to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known. Which means this wasn't something you learned from these individuals, but no doubt they did fall after some kings. He says, But there were some who did not know this, did not know this false god. And he says, And they have filled this place the blood of innocence, as a reference to the children being offered up to this false god. It says they have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. You think about that for a second. Did such an act ever come into the mind of God to demand a human sacrifice? You know, some will go back to the days of Isaac and Jacob, right? And some will talk about how Isaac was to be offered up, if you remember correctly. Think about this for a second. About how far did that get? Was there ever any blood shed at all? No. In fact, the Bible tells us as soon as the knife was raised, the angel appeared, right? He knew what he wanted to know. The determined faith of that person. And that innocent young child, innocent young boy, maybe perhaps you might say, was released. There was no shedding of blood of human life. You remember on that occasion when the father was asked and questioned about where was the sacrifice, the reply was the Lord will provide. You remember the Lord did provide, didn't he? The Bible says it was a, I believe it was a goat that was caught there in the bush and there was what they sacrificed. Not the sacrifice of a human being. We continue to read on here in verse 5. He says, or going back to verse 5, there he says, Which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. This is never a part of God's design for the redemption of mankind was the offering of human sacrifice. Looking at verse 6, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Notice how many times he reminds them who's speaking, the Lord. Not Jeremiah, but it's the Lord. It may say the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, but it's still the Lord speaking. This place shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Heman, but the valley of slaughter. That's not a, a valley name that you want, do you? You know, if you're a if, you know, some people have estates, if they have a lot of land, a lot of cattle, sometimes you'll see things like such and such ranch up on their sign when they come in. Would you want to have the name, the ranch of slaughter, on the top of your sign when you're pulling in? That's not something you want. The valley of slaughter is not the name you wanted to associate with the, the God, so-called, you're worshiping. But that's exactly what God has done. Let's think about some, some things, first of all. Such wickedness never entered into the mind of God, and God would never desire sacrifice involved loss of human life. Only the wickedness from, from the man... Uh, from man can desire such things. Only man can come up with such things as this to offer up themselves, offer up the innocent. 
And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the, the, the sacrifices we are to give to God are spiritual in nature. A sacrificial living. That is, we live our life in a way that's pleasing to God, not literally offering up ourselves in a physical way to God. Let's look at some lessons. We want to first compare Molech versus Yahweh. We're going to find that, of course, Yahweh wins. That is God. When you put them, if you were to put them in the ring, well, first of all, someone would have to carry Molech there, wouldn't they? Or they'd be the building there. You know, we talk about that. We talk about Astaroth, how God points out, you know, he, he can topple over. Watch out. He also points out how part of the wood you, you chop down for your, from your tree, you build, you use to heat your home, you build to, to cook your food. And other, half, other part you use to create your false god, showing their ridiculousness, to put it mildly. Molech destroyed mankind, taking innocent from families and giving nothing in return is only one example you remember when the child was to be offered up, some said that the women were to stand by without any tears, without any sobbing. How could that be possible? It tells you how far and how dark mankind can go when they don't want to fall after the one true God. They literally offer up anything. If you remember on the, on the top of Mount Carmel where the, there is that contest taking place between the five prophets of Baal and the one prophet who stood alone there. And how they made that contest, that challenge was they built an altar. And the first God who responded by fire, that was the one true God, right? How long did those false prophets have to call out for their God? Before the prophet of God began to kind of poke fun at them a little bit. And we told them to yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on a journey. Remember also he points out how they began to take knives and begin to cut themselves. You know, it's interesting thinking about the false gods that we see throughout the Bible, that blood flowed, and I've said this before, the blood flowed from man to their false god. With the one true God, the blood flowed from God to man. Now, that's not original with me. I'm not that clever. But that is the idea there, isn't it? It flowed from the one true God, flowed from Christ to man. It never flowed from man to Christ. We may be martyrs at the hands of those who hate the fact you're trying to live in a life live a life that's pleasing to God. And in that way you could say, okay, yeah, we offer up ourselves to God in that way. But God doesn't desire that, does he? He doesn't desire that we die. He desires that we live faithfully to him. And if it takes dying for our faith in order to remain faithful to God, then we do so. But there's never been an altar that God said, Okay, lay down your innocent child there for me. And I will take it. We've already talked about that already. Molech destroyed mankind, taking the innocent from families and giving nothing in return. It's only one example. Yahweh, we find there, as, as, one, uh, as Robertson points out here, he says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, that the God worshipped in Abraham's time was a God who did, he did not delight in destroying life, but in saving and sanctifying it. And he's referencing there the occasion of Isaac being offered, right? God does not delight in destroying life. You think about that, and some would say, well, how can you say that? Well, how long did it take God before he finally destroyed the, the, the world by water? The Bible tells us it, took, it went to the point where mankind's thoughts are only evil continually. That's how long God waited. 
Sodom and Gomorrah literally had messengers sent to them. That's how long God waited. And examples go on and on and on where God waited and was long-suffering to try to save mankind until there was no other way was to save the innocent from the effects of the wicked was by destroying and wiping off the wicked. You know, think about that. The same thing is done with infections sometimes, isn't it? In order to prevent another area of skin or your body, just pick one, from being affected, you try to wipe out that infection before it gets that far. And in some extreme cases, you actually cut it off to keep the other part still alive, living and whole. Doesn't God do that all the time? To keep the saved saved, he removes the disease, which is the unfaithful, wicked, rebellious, hard-hearted people we find numerous times in the Bible being wiped out because they're going to affect others that they're allowed to continue. But it's not God's ultimate desire. That is the last step in God's reply to sin. We also think about this. We think about lessons for us today. False gods destroy. Molech, like other false gods, demands things from man that brings man harm. It brings man harm. You think it's easy for that man of God to lay down Isaac to be offered up? You think it's easy for the other sacrifices that are made for mankind, that mankind makes for God? And if we look at what Molech and other false gods require, they go much, much further, don't they? You think about how long that god of Molech lasted and how many lives were lost because it was later laid down the arms, the metal arms of a god that did not really exist. And how many people watched their children die while people played flutes and beat drums to try to drown out the sound of their children being burned to death. For a false God, a God that does not exist. He didn't exist then. He doesn't exist today. Molech gives nothing to man. No blessings, no salvation, no love, no care, no hope. And that list can go on forever. A God that you have to create is not a God. A God that does not do anything for you is not a God. The one true God does things for mankind every single day. Every day. The Bible tells us that God's, it's all, God is always there for us. His mercy and grace is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness, the quote from Limitations. God is always there for us. Moloch was only there if they went to his physical location where he would do absolutely nothing for them. In order to try to get him to respond, they would sacrifice things that God said never even entered his mind. Molech, like other false gods, offers mankind nothing. As we close this morning, we must realize that in the worship of false gods, as I said already before, I got hit myself, the blood flowed from man to the false god. In the worship of the one true God, blood flowed from God to man. God sacrificed his son on the cross for us so we can have heaven as our home. As we partook of this morning, as we partook of the Lord's Supper, we are reminded what God has done for us through His Son. Lay down his, the, son, the life of the Son on the cross for us. He will die, be put in the tomb, and then He would rise again, conquering death, overcoming death, which is, as the Bible tells us, which is the last enemy, right? 
and making it possible for us too in the likeness of his resurrection through our obedience to the gospel can be raised in the likeness of his resurrection to have heaven as our home with God and Christ and all the faithful one day as well. If you were to burn down Molech, could it rise by itself? No. If you were to burn any foreign false god that was created by mankind, because they all are, what would happen to them? Until mankind made them again, they would stay that heap of burning ash that eventually would go out. They couldn't come back. They couldn't rebuild. They couldn't rise from the ashes. You know, God, you cannot destroy. You can blaspheme him like we'll talk about this evening. You can say things against him. But you cannot even fight against God. You can speak against him and find yourself to be very foolish and find yourself to be very much out of place in doing so. The one true God desires to save mankind, not destroy him. Well, Chuck mentioned this several times in his Bible class this morning, that God desires all men to come to repentance. All men to come to repentance. Why? Because he's a God of salvation, not the God of destruction. You look at all these false gods, which we'll look at a few more later. We look at all these false gods. One thing they have in common is that they always destroy. They take away without giving anything back. God desires that we give him our life in obedience. And in in response, he gives us heaven as our home. He gives us salvation. He gives us the ability to speak to Him through His Son any time that we want. And one of the most common things you find with false gods is people trying to communicate with them at all. And they decide in their own mind and in whatever way that this is how their false god had responded. But through God's Word, we find God speaking to us every day, reminding us of how we can have heaven as our home, showing us how we can overcome any trial or temptation, any hardship, Showing us how much he loves us and reminding us of that fact on a daily basis. God is not a God that takes away. Our God is a God that gives. He gives life. He gives hope. He gives blessings. If we remain faithful, he'll give to us the keys to the city of heaven. The Bible responds or tells us about there in the book of Revelation. A place where all the faithful dwell. As you think about these things this morning, you think about Molech. And you compare this false God to the one true God. We come away with one very clear point. Molech and other, like other false gods cares nothing for man because they don't even exist. But the one true God will do everything he can like he already has to save mankind. There's literally nothing else that God can do for us. He has done it all. All we must do is obey him until the very end.